This is The Space Shot, episode 122 for September 13th, 2017. May Jemison and Luna 2. Hey everyone, welcome to The Space Shot, your daily space history, pop culture, and news fix. I'm John Molnix. We're going to start off today with Cassini countdown number two, Ocean Worlds. In 2005, Cassini discovered water vapor being ejected from vents at the south pole of Enceladus, which led researchers to theorize the presence of water reservoirs under the moon's crust. NASA JPL scientists studied the gravity of the moon, looking for variations that would provide clues into the composition of the materials that make up the moon. Quote, the gravity measurements suggest a large, possibly regional ocean about 6 miles deep beneath an ice shell about 19 to 25 miles thick. The subsurface ocean evidence supports the inclusion of Enceladus among the most likely places in our solar system to host microbial life. As Cassini Project scientist Linda Spilker put in this article, quote, material from Enceladus's south polar jets contains salty water and organic materials, the basic chemical ingredients for life. Sadly, the mysteries of Enceladus will have to wait for the next mission to the Saturnian system. Tomorrow is the Cassini countdown number one, and I'll be up early Friday morning for the Cassini end of mission, and I'll have that day's episode out later Friday morning. Now I've got two pieces of space history for today's episode. The first is the Luna 2 impactor that struck the surface of the moon on September 13th, 1959. The Luna 2 impactor hit to the east of Mare Imbrium, or the Sea of Showers. If you look at the moon, this feature is a large, darker-colored region of the moon, just above the Copernicus crater. The Luna 2 impactor weighed roughly 860 pounds, which was a massive payload to be sent that far out into space at the time. This mission confirmed that the moon, quote, had no appreciable magnetic field and found no evidence of radiation belts at the moon. The Luna 2 impactor also carried a few unique items. A series of Soviet pennants were loaded on the spacecraft, and they looked like small stainless steel soccer balls with how they're put together. The pennants were designed to send small pentagonal pieces of metal emblazoned with the Soviet Union coat of arms and the Cyrillic letters CCCP, or USSR, embossed on the metal. At the Cosmosphere in Hutchinson, Kansas, they have one of the copies of the spherical pennants, and I'm posting a picture of the copy of the pennant on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, so be sure to check those out. The other pennant is located at the Eisenhower Presidential Library in Abilene, Kansas, two unique and unusual resting places for small but interesting pieces of space race history. Let's jump ahead a couple decades. It's time to talk about the shuttle. The shuttle program had a number of firsts with the flight of STS-47 in September of 1992. It was the 50th mission of the shuttle program, the first time an African-American woman flew in space, the first time a Japanese astronaut flew on the space shuttle, and the first time a married couple flew into space on the same mission. I'll be talking more about that married couple in the next few days, so stay tuned for that. The astronaut I want to talk about today is Mae Jemison. Dr. Jemison holds degrees in engineering and received a doctorate degree in medicine from Cornell University. She worked for the United States Peace Corps as well as the Center for Disease Control. 
During the STS-47 mission, Dr. Jemison performed research on bone cells and other mission experiments. STS-47 was her only spaceflight, and after leaving NASA, she taught and held positions in the private sector. Dr. Jemison also has the unique honor of being the first actual astronaut to appear on Star Trek. Phase distortion is dropping. The next transport window opens in 42 seconds. How long will we have, Lieutenant? 36 minutes, sir. We are losing time. Lieutenant Riker should be here. Computer, locate Lieutenant. She played the transporter operator, Lieutenant Palmer, in the Star Trek The Next Generation episode, Second Chances. The episode where Commander Riker is duplicated in a transporter accident, and he ends up meeting his double years after that accident. During her flight on STS-47, Jemison started her shifts on the shuttle by letting Mission Control in Houston know that, quote, hailing frequencies were open. Check out the show notes for more information on today's episode, and be sure to connect with me on Instagram and Twitter. Find me at John Molnix. I'm always up to chat. Let me know what you think of the show by leaving a rating in iTunes. It takes just a minute to do that, and it makes a huge difference because it helps even more people find the show. I'd also appreciate if you could share the space shot with your friends and family and anyone else that enjoys podcasts. Tomorrow, we've got some space policy history and a little bit more about the first married couple in space. I'm John Molnix, and I'll catch you on the flip side.